Twitter. I'm Hayes Brown, she is Stephanie McNeil, and you are watching am to dm Yes, it's Friday. We have a royal wedding Woo! going on as we speak. <laughs> and I don't want to hear anything from any of you who are like, oh, cover real news, royal wedding. This isn't a real royal wedding. Yeah. We want to take some fun where we can get it. It's Friday. Allegedly, yeah. the sun's going to come out in New York today. And I am going to pay attention to this royal wedding. Yeah, let us pay attention to the wedding of Princess... Eugenie, Princess Eugenie no, is getting married. Yes. That's name who is she getting married to? Name him. Do it. Jack. Jack. Jack someone. Jack the Prince. Ja <laughs> <laughs> well, we just got our first look at Eugenie's True. wedding dress, and she has a really cool reason for why she picked this dress. The Sun's Dan Wooten tweeted. Princess Eugenie has worn a dress designed to show off the scars of her back surgery, aged just 12. As she says, you can change the way beauty is and you can show people your scars. I love that. And I love that too. Same. That's so That's great. That's actually really nice. And yeah. I do like the dress. It's really pretty. Her actually. dress looks kind of like that dress Cinderella's wearing in the movie where oh, she goes yeah. to the ball. She even has a emerald tiara known mm. from the queen. Posh and as heck. She really does look like Cinderella except for it has like a very open back. And mm -hmm. she doesn't have like a very noticeable scar in my opinion, but you can see it. I mean, it. the and question is though, did mice sew the dress? Did the mice do it or not? If not, not Cinderella to me. I mean, definitely. They definitely did. She's a real princess. Right? Why not? But anyway, while the wedding is beautiful so far, the English autumn weather is not really cooperating. Yahoo Style UK tweeted, Guests are struggling to hold on to their hats <laughs> as they battle the 60 mile per hour winds at the royal wedding in Windsor. That's my John Oliver, I guess. That was very good. Thank you. I mean, yeah, these photos are pretty funny. It's Poor true. Princess Charlotte took a little tumble because oh. it was so windy. There's a really funny video of, I think it's... I think it's like Robbie Williams. Is that like the British singer? I'm Is really, cool? I'm really sorry. Robbie Williams, yes. Uh, and his wife and his mother-in-law, and they're walking, and her hat blows off, and mm -hmm. she's like, "Oh dear." She's oh, just like, "No, oh no, my fascinator." My hat. I'm really sorry to all of our English viewers <laughs> our for fans. my what my terrible British accent, but you know. Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try. You know, I love I love trying a good British accent on for size. Okay, Twitter, we want to hear from you. What's the funniest disaster you ever witnessed at a wedding? Let us know using the hashtag AMTDM. Do you have any good ones, Hayes? Not really. Not really a wedding attender, really. But I, you've been to like 25 so far in 2018. So how about you? Anything good? I have been to a lot of weddings. I don't. There's not really been any huge disasters. I would love a little like drama to spice up the mix, but a lot of the weddings I go to are people I really like, so I don't want there to be a disaster. But Fair. if I ever go to a rando wedding, yes. I'm gonna be crossing my fingers for some craziness. Speaking of craziness though, yesterday was probably in the top 10 wildest days in the Oval Office. If you were anywhere near the internet, you saw what happened during Kanye West's meeting with President Trump at the White House. The two had lunch together, and with the cameras rolling, Kanye, or Ye, as he prefers to be known now, gave an <laughs> impromptu 10-minute speech on a, everything? From the MAGA hat to showing the president a gif of a hydrogen plane, and he also showed us all his password. Oh, Not oh, good. Oh. <laughs> it was pretty intense. But Kanye wasn't the only celebrity there yesterday. There was also former NFL star Jim Brown and, for some reason, Kid Rock making his second appearance at the White House. Never thought I would say that. BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Trini Party is joining us from Washington to talk Kanye and everything else. Good morning, Trini. Good morning, guys. Great British accents this morning. We try. Oh, thank, thank you so oh, much. They were spot on, thank were they? you. 
So that was certainly something <laughs> yesterday, Tarini. Were you there live with, with the... Um, I, I was not. I wish I had been, but it was a pool-only event. It was actually supposed to be closed to press, and then, of course, if, if you have Kanye at the White House, the president is going to want to let cameras in. So it was a pooled event, so only a handful of reporters got to witness it live in action. So what was the purpose of all of the celebrities who were there yesterday? Was there a point, or was it just, hey, come on down? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it seemed like a, a great way to for the president to get on TV more. But for but actually, they you know they did seem to have an agenda. At least that's what the White House put out. Um, Kanye and Jim Brown were there to talk about prison reform and potential clemencies and violence in Chicago and African unemployment. Those were some of the issues that the White House put out. And in his long speech, Kanye did sort of sporadically mention some of those issues. And in theory, they might have gotten more into it. You know during their private lunch. Um, and then Kid Rock was there separately for another event. Um, the president signed a bill yesterday about um, music modernization and copyright law. And so he was there supporting uh, the president's efforts on that. Do we have any sense of what the White House, like Trump and his team, thought about this whole meeting? Was he pleased with it? Because there were moments during the press conference yesterday where even Trump looked a little like, what is going on here? Which was kind of weird to see, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, the president is not used to being, uh, not used to having another person in the room who's kind of randomly rambling on with the cameras, you know, focused on that person. So I'm pretty sure it was kind of a weird experience for him. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, he seemed to have gotten what he wanted out of this. He got uh, a lot of press attention yesterday. A lot, you know, the cameras uh, played uh, the meeting with Kanye over and over again. Uh, the president does not have that many big celebrities who are in his corner. So, it, it, you know, he's been wanting to sort of show off Kanye and his, you know, MAGA-ness for a while. And that's what he got yesterday. There's been a lot, there was a lot of chatter back in the day when Obama brought Common to the White House, a lot of uproar over that. Have those same people kept that same energy for Kanye coming to the White House or have they been kind of quiet? Of course they haven't, because this is just the way politics works these days. You know, everyone is um, essentially a hypocrite. And if you if you know, if your side is doing something, it's great. But if the other side does it, it's not. So I think this is just one of those um, situations. And of course, we're very cynical here in D.C., but I, I think that's uh, we're not going to hear from any of those people. Well, Tarina, you also had a story yesterday about Trump's continued focus on Brett Kavanaugh at his rallies, even though the Supreme Court fight is over. What's the president been saying lately? So the president is still talking about Brett Kavanaugh as much as he can. He's been doing a lot of rallies, a lot of public comments this week, and we've heard him keep the focus on Brett Kavanaugh, uh, you know, talking about the confirmation process. Um, and he's been able to sort of portray uh, Kavanaugh as a flawless man, as, as he said this week, and Democrats as part of this angry left-wing mob. He's been using that phrase a lot in rallies and basically warning his supporters that if they don't come out and vote, uh, then Democrats will take over and this mob will be ruling the country is basically what his message has been. Um, so, the, you know, the White House is hoping that actually works and brings people out to the polls. So is this Kavanaugh support and this narrative that it was a left wing mob trying to bring him down, is that really resonating with the Republican base or are they just kind of hoping it will? 
I think there's there's some evidence that the the base has been energized by this confirmation battle, uh, but I think that we're seeing energy on both sides here, and I, you know it's hard to tell you know which one has the advantage. But um, the the problem from for Democrats is that the some of these Senate races are in deep red states. They're in Trump country. So if there if that base of voter voters is energized, um, then you know it could really help them uh, keep the Senate or even um, expand their majority. Well, it's definitely just going to be so interesting to see what happens in a month during the midterms. Trini, thank you so much for joining us and breaking all of this fun down. Thanks, guys. Here's a tweet from Senator Bernie Sanders. Your right to vote is yours. No person or board of elections can take it away from you. We must stand up to this voter suppression in Georgia and double our efforts to make sure Stacey Abrams wins this November. Yeah, so this was a huge story on our timelines yesterday. So let's break it down a little bit for you, for anyone who's confused. So Stacey Abrams is a Democrat. She's running for governor of Georgia, and she's running against the state's current secretary of state, Brian Kemp, who's a Republican. Now, reports are saying that Kemp's office has frozen 53,000 voter registrations right before the election. That means that these people can no longer vote. 70% of those 53,000 people are black. Now Abrams is saying that it's not fair that Kemp gets to oversee an election he is also running in. Joining us now to break this down further is The Washington Post's Eugene Scott. Good morning, Eugene. Good morning. How are you? So, Eugene, how is it that Kemp can keep his secretary of state post to oversee an election he's running in? Well, because there's no law in the state of Georgia requiring uh, the secretary of state to step down uh, if he's running for another office. Um, and also uh, what, what he's doing is within the law. Uh, it is true uh, that the majority of the people on this uh, pending list um, are people of color, are people uh, more likely to vote Democratic and therefore more likely to vote against Kemp. But what is also true is that these people on this list, if they bring their uh, photo ID with them to their polling station, they can still vote in the election. That bit of the information, though, uh, just isn't. Uh, being uh, made clear and reaching the people who uh, could be impacted most. Well, that's good to know. I mean, even though this news obviously isn't great, it's good to know that these people can still vote in the election. But what is the uh, justification that Kemp is giving for why these voters are on hold or pending, however he's phrasing it? Well, this law in Georgia, uh, which exists in other states, uh, Ohio is one of them, it's one of the many laws... Uh, Republican legislatures have put in place to combat what they are uh, consider considering concerns about voting fraud. Uh, mind you, there is no significant evidence that voting fraud take places, takes place uh, in Georgia uh, or Ohio or any state in America, but uh, just more systems that they think will be able to help people um, not beat the system or take advantage of the system. Uh, it, they, they just want to put more systems in place to prevent that from happening. And so like a perfect example uh, of what the exact match system does exactly is if your name is uh, Beyonce Knowles hyphen Carter, if your voter registration just says Beyonce Knowles Carter without the hyphen, you would automatically go on pending. Um, and a majority or a, a significant percentage of people who have uh, hyphens in their names, apostrophes, are, are people of color. And so these are people who uh, are much more likely not to vote for Republicans. And that's why people believe the exact match system 
favors Republican uh, candidates. So what has Kemp's office said to explain that fact? I mean, are they using that reasoning for why 70% of the people on this list are people of color? Have they responded at all? They have responded. They, they've responded primarily via attacks, saying that uh, Stacey Abrams is putting out misinformation because she can't focus on the issues. Um, and it's not Stacey Abrams putting out misinformation. The fact is that these names actually are pending. Uh, what's not being communicated to voters uh, clearly is that even if they're pending, they can still vote. Um, and so that's information that the Secretary of State's office could be more aggressive in communicating to voters. But the thought is that they aren't being as aggressive as they could be uh, because they know that if many of these voters come out, they won't vote for Kemp. It's, we know historically, nationally and in Georgia, uh, most black voters, most Latino voters are more likely to vote uh, for the Democratic candidate. So uh, it doesn't really serve the Kemp campaign to get these people out to the polls. Is there any way for anyone in Georgia to push Kemp and his office to be more aggressive? Or is this just a choice that Kemp himself gets to make? Uh, it definitely is a choice uh, that, uh, you know, he gets to make as a candidate. I mean, the problem is we're talking about Kemp the candidate and Kemp the secretary of state. And so, I mean, you have people contacting the Secretary of State's office, uh, the Democratic Party of Georgia, uh, lawmakers in D.C. representing Georgia who are being really aggressive in trying to make sure the Secretary of State's office is more uh, comprehensive in communicating uh, to voters how to vote accurately. But at this point, it's really depending on activist groups uh, and individuals uh, to communicate what needs to be known. Well, it's definitely a very interesting story. Thank you so much for breaking it down for us, Eugene. Thanks for having me. Stick around. Up next, we have Fire Tweets, the last one of the week. Woo! Okay, so Hayes, you and I are so in sync that one of our producers, Rebecca, pointed us out to us that we are matching today. Heck yeah. She actually said Slytherin vibes, which I'm into. I I'm into it. it. I don't believe in the purity of wizard blood, but you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so thanks. I mean, if you if you like, we'll match the rest of the times we host. Why not? Yeah, we'll do what we can. All right, are you ready for some fire tweets? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Bam! <laughs> Jordan says, Purchase 8124, okay? I mean, it's definitely not okay, but I need it, so like, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> this is me every time I go to like Target or Home Goods. I always am like. It's so rude of them like, to ask. I like, put I, like $10 things in my cart, <laughs> like 10 bucks, 10 bucks. And I'm like, okay, it's gonna be like what? Like 20, 30 bucks. And I'm like shocked when it's like 100. Math is hard. <laughs> yeah, I know that's like a very like common meme, but it really is true. Okay. Hit it. Jovan. Men be like, I'm sorry you made you feel that way with my actions. Says men's. I yeah. am men's, but I, yikes. Yikes is what I have to say about that. I'm going to burn you all down with my fire tweets. Eh, <laughs> warranted. Okay, next up. <laughs> Alexa, Twitter trolls don't phase me because I was once brutally dragged in a houseplant form for overwarding my fiddle leaf fig tree, and I haven't felt anything since. Boom. That's really, really funny. Alexa. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, but she's hardened. She's got a tough shell now, inspired but, by the internet. I mean, it's something I think that like no one's done a big think piece on, which you don't have to do this. I'm not saying anyone should because it would be a little like interesting, but Facebook groups are like the new like thing. Like everyone's in Facebook groups now and they're the wild, wild west. I've they joined are. some for my job and oh my God, are people 
that shit in there. Moderators, what are those? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Reddit, but like, it, it's like even more. Okay. Brock tweeted, but you said you're 10 minutes away. First of all, I didn't say where I'm 10 minutes away from. My life. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I'll be right there. I'm getting in the car now. The car is nowhere near. My New Year's resolution every year it is try to be more on time because I realize I'm trash because <laughs> when I need to be somewhere at a certain time, mm -hmm. I am there. It's just when I don't, when I'm like, oh, I'm just meeting I'll meet you there eventually. Then I'm always late and I'm like, why are you such a bad person? Why are you like this, self? Okay, yeah. next up, Miguel. Yeah. <laughs> I skip test questions, like I'm going to be a different person when I come back to them. Flashbacks. Mm. That is so real. Question four, don't know that now. I'm sure question seven will jog my memory. Question seven, useless. You still have the dream that you're in high school slash oh college. I have the dream where I have to go and take a final where I haven't been to the class all semester. It's math class at for me every time. Math class every time at least once a week. Like, oh, wow. please, stop. I don't need this. Uh, okay, you ready for the tweet of the day? Let's do this. This comes from Common Sad Girl. Puts a normal sized carrot in a bag of baby carrots so they have adult supervision. That is proper carrot care right there. That is very cute. But did you know, Common Sad Girl, that baby carrots are just adult carrots whittled down to a baby size? Oh, wow, like our spirits in 2018. Good one, Hayes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Anyway, up next, more AM to DM. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back. It's time to go live from the district, but we are actually going to California to speak with someone who is hoping to work out of the district next year. Democratic congressional candidate Andrew Jantz is mounting a challenge to Republican Devin Nunez, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. He joins us now. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's early there where you are. Oh, man. This is way too early for me. <laughs> I asked you. <laughs> okay, so if the Democrats take the House in the midterms, what do you think cooperation looks like with the party seemingly split between an old and new guard when you, if you make it into the House? Look, I think it's going to be tough. I've actually been one of the few people that have been actively criticizing uh, my party and their leadership for how they've been targeting races uh, in this election. Uh, so I think that we're going to have to have some time for us to come together and we need to start to lay the groundwork for 2020. I think that if we have a younger uh, freshman class, which it looks like we're going to have, I think that uh, some of us younger folks can really push uh, folks that have been there for, for a while to uh, basically come together. Funny that you say that because here's a question for you. If you make it in, would you back Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House if the Democrats do take back control of the House? Yeah, I've been one of the few people that have been asking for a change in leadership, not only within the Democratic Party, but also within the Republican Party. And I've been traveling my district and talking about change in Washington. So I thought it would be uh, disingenuous for me to support somebody that has been in leadership for many years. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has done a lot of good for the country and for the party, but I think that we need a fresh take on things. All right, then uh, who you got your eye on? Who's, uh, who's up next in your eye? You know, for me, it's whoever's going to do the best to help my district in the Central Valley. I come from an agricultural region, and we really depend on uh, ag to survive here. And so whoever's going to help me get water projects for my district, 
and everything else that we need, I'm going to support that person. All right, fair enough. So you're running in a district where Devin Yunus has won pretty handily in past races. So what do you think is different this time? What makes you think you can win? You know, all my friends and coworkers thought I was crazy when I got into this race. And you're right, we started about 36 points down. Uh, but we've been work working very hard over the course of the last year and a half to uh, consolidate support amongst Democrats, but also doing a lot of things to reach out to independents and Republicans. And uh, if you look at any of the uh, more recent polls, uh, some put us within the margin of error, some have us even tied. Uh, so I think that our message for change, uh, our message of ending the corruption in Washington, which is represented by Devin Nunes and this White House, I think it's been very effective and we're getting a lot of people to come on board. We have about 25 days to go. We just need to keep up the energy and I think we'll get up, uh, get over this hump. So you say that some of your polling has you within the margin of error. We saw a poll from about last week, I think, that had you 10 points down still. You're getting a huge amount of fundraising in your race, thanks in part to people across the country who are angry at Devin Nunez. So have you thought about sharing some of those funds with even closer races? You know, here's the thing. This is why we have the DCCC. Uh, they are here to help candidates that are uh, struggling with fundraising but are in more competitive races. Uh, I think that they've done some good in targeting uh, some races, uh, others not so much. Uh, for me, uh, I have to use those uh, campaign donations for my district because they gave that to this campaign to unseat this man. Uh, and, and he's a real danger to national security. He's working every single day to protect Donald Trump. And he continually goes on to Fox News to target our law enforcement officials, both nationally and here locally. So what's your path then to really close the gap down and really make it over the line in less than a month? I mean, I know you're talking about his Fox News hits, but is that resonating inside your district? Look, it's going to be about turnout in the end. We have to work to turn out people that have traditionally not voted in the past. And so the registration gap between Democrats and Republicans is anywhere between nine and 10 points. Uh, so we need to turn out uh, Latinos, we need to turn out women, and we also need to turn out 18 to 25 year olds who didn't really vote in the primary. But we're doing a lot of stuff here on the ground, a lot of stuff online, uh, on social media to get people energized and excited about this race. You know, politics used to be an honorable endeavor. And now with everything that we're seeing coming out of this White House and this administration, people are shutting their ears and shutting their eyes to uh, what is happening in Washington. And so I want to do my part to bring back this uh, honor and integrity to, uh, I think, a profession that uh, is, 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 is worthy. So obviously the huge thing in the news for the past month or so has been the Kavanaugh hearings. And obviously we're all paying attention to the fact that this is all happening right before the midterm elections. Are you worried that Republicans may be getting a boost from the Kavanaugh hearings and that this rhetoric is really resonating with their base? You know what? Honestly, not at all. And we're seeing actually the opposite effect. Uh, we've seen a huge influx of women volunteers coming in to support my campaign and work for my campaign, uh, many of whom are registered Republicans. And I actually saw a poll uh, the other day uh, out of Texas in Congressman O'Rourke's race against Ted Cruz, where uh, evangelical women were coming out in droves for uh, the challenger there. And so we're seeing the same thing here in this district. I think women are fed up with um, with the fact that they're not being believed and the way that they're being treated uh, in the national discourse. And as a prosecutor, I have handled so many cases involving women who have uh, been not believed by uh, very powerful men here in the district. And so I go out there every single day to get, get these women justice, and I hope to do the same thing in Washington. 
A second ago, you criticized the DCCC for its targeting in some races. Uh, do you feel like they're returning your calls now? Do you feel like, or do you think that they're leaving you to fend for yourself a little? How, what's your relationship like with the DTRIP? It's, it's pretty much non-existent. Um, I've been trying to get a call with the, uh, with the chairman, uh, but I haven't heard back yet. But that's fine. I know that he's a busy guy, uh, and he's got a lot of races that he's paying attention to. I just think that this should be one of them. You know, what, uh, you know if you can't get excited about taking on Devin Nunes or, or people like Ted Cruz, then what are you going to get excited about? Look at the massive amounts of money that we're bringing into this campaign. The American people want change in this district because it affects everybody. Devin Nunes is a national security threat, and we got to take him out. So Devin Nunes sent out a 40-page mailer against one of the local newspapers in your district, the Fresno Bee. Why do you think he did that? You know, I, I heard one of the uh, one of the professors here at the local college talk about uh, the the magazine. I haven't really read it yet, um, but uh, her take on it was because I am a first time candidate for public office, uh, there isn't really a record to attack me on. So, knowing that the Fresno Bee was probably going to endorse me, which they have in this campaign, he wanted to go out and basically undermine everything that they were doing. Just to you know, this is really a page out of Donald Trump's playbook. Uh, playbook. Um, calling them fake news and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and what's very um, strange about all of this is that anybody that's lived in the district knows that the Fresno Bee is a pretty conservative paper. They've endorsed Devin Nunes about uh, eight times, I think, every single election that he's run in. Um, and now they want to uh, take a different path, and they've endorsed my campaign. So, you know, anybody that says that, that the Fresno Bee is a, a liberal paper um, doesn't know what they're talking about. So I think that it has to do with the fact that he doesn't want to engage um, and he doesn't want to um, talk to his constituents or voters. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time this very early morning for you, Andrew, to talk with us. Hey, thank you so much for covering the race. Up next, Chantal sits down with blackish actor Marcus Scribner. So stay tuned. and this is The Sit Down. And I'm here with Marcus Scribner from Black-ish. Good morning, Marcus. Good morning, how Hi. are you? I'm doing great, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. That's amazing, can I just say this jacket is super fly. I Thank wanna know where you, you got it from. It's drôle de monsieur. Oh, you see that? French. It's French with the accent. You I know, I had to it. had to break out my uh, my vocab for this one. Okay, it's perfect for, for New York. Welcome. Yes, thank you, thank awesome. you. So let's dive right in. So last season on Blackish Junior, your character made mm -hmm. the decision to go to Howard University, but this season we see him back at home. Yes. What's going on with Junior? Shocker. Um, <laughs> he's doing a he's doing a gap year, okay. which is not uncommon at all. Um, I'm actually taking a gap year myself um, in real life, so. It was cool to kind of see that reflected on the show. Um, on the show, Junior's trying to figure out exactly what he wants to do with said gap year, um, whether that be taking a position, uh, working in his dad's office, or maybe traveling, or we'll see how the season develops and where he ends up going with that. Um, what I'm doing in my gap year, I'm trying to continue working. You know, we're working on the show, but then I also have a couple animated projects that I've been working on, particularly uh, a show called She-Ra that I was working on with DreamWorks that I actually, that's why I'm out here in New York, hit up New York Comic Con to yeah. tour She-Ra, you know, just have a good time. We worked on that for around two years. It's a DreamWorks project airing on Netflix in November. Super exciting. It's about female empowerment. There's a bunch of cool characters. I play Bo, 
who's got like a dope bow and arrow <laughs> and he's a tech master. He's just a super cool kid. He shows a little midriff because he's got the abs going okay. on. Um, never had those. So I was like, all right, super dope to get to voice right, a character. Let's get who's, it going. Yeah, who's got, who's swole, so yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So in Blackish, you are surrounded by some amazing actors. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lewis, who I've met, is a dream. Yes. Lawrence Fishburne, Tracy Ellis Ross, Anthony Anderson. Mm -hmm. To be surrounded by so many amazing actors, have they given you any influence or advice with especially when you're gappy or how to continue on your career? I think even just being in an environment like that and just watching them on set, how they perform, how they act, um, you just kind of pick up tendencies over time. And then also they're just amazing mentors and they'll help you along the way because uh, I know what it's like to be an actor. Obviously, they've yeah. been doing it for <laughs> years and years, especially people like Jennifer. I mean, Jennifer's done oh. Broadway, theater. She's everything. Just an amazing, amazing actress, singer, dancer, like she does it all, okay? I mean, I can't think. Tap dances, high kicks? Yeah, ha like high everything. kicks, exactly. Yeah. You see her high kick yes, at the Emmys? I it saw was that. Pretty I was like, I can't even reach this. No, don't worry, level. she does it on set all the does time. She? And we were like, thank you, Jennifer, for showing <laughs> that off, okay? That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. So one great thing that the show does is really touch on current issues, whether it's racism, police brutality, postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. What can we expect to be covered this season, season five? Um, well, this season we're tackling a lot of issues that are currently going on in our social um, sphere. I mean, obviously we have our current presidency, um, which gives Blackish a ton of issues to talk about. So that's like the only Point kind of, of like, yeah, positive thing that's come out of this whatsoever. We've got more content for a show that talks about <laughs> things that aren't good. So it's like, um, it's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, we're talking about kneeling, um, taking a stand, and uh, just a whole plethora of topics this year that have been going on that have been floating around the Twitter sphere and just around our um, world and just working those into conversations and hopefully making them easier for families to talk about. Oh, wonderful. So you just mentioned kneeling. So will you guys mm -hmm. be actually, because I know an episode was scrapped, so will mm -hmm. you guys be addressing the kneeling issue? Um, us as people on the show, I feel like it's our uh, our belief. A lot of us on the show are social activists. We want to make sure that we're active in the community, using our voices and our platforms to um, affect change. Um, I don't want to spoil too much for what we have in store for this season, but just know that we're tackling issues head on. So. Oh, awesome. Can't wait to tune in. Yeah. So going back to your amazing role in She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, yeah. amazing show coming up on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So talk to me, how does this reboot differ from the original series? Um, well, for one, in the original series, my character was white. Okay. <laughs> and he was a grown man of 45 years of age with a handlebar <laughs> mustache. And he was swole. But um, it's kind of cool just seeing the plethora of characters and new ideas that our creator, Noel, has been able to um, implement into Shira while keeping the formula uh, similar. It, the show is really about female empowerment and what you can uh, accomplish when working together. Um, there's lots of themes of friendship, you know, power. I don't mean to sound all cheery because there's, there's a lot of dark moments in the show, but of course it is a cartoon. Um, but yeah, I, what I really appreciate about She-Ra is that we're, um, as opposed to the original cast, uh, all the characters are, um, are diverse, you know what I mean? We come in all shapes and sizes, different races, ethnicities, um, sexual orientations, yeah. like we're, we're, t we're 
reflecting real life or reflecting reality into a cartoon, which I don't think is done too often. I think um, it's finally time to make that that uh, that transition. Absolutely. So. And speaking of being really embracing all different identities, yeah. your character Bo has two dads. What was it like to be able to depict that and show that there's such and making it normalizing such a really great identity? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because that was a little spoiler that came out <laughs> at New York Comic Con. Yes. So you guys are getting the exclusives. But um, yeah, I feel like like I was saying, we like to reflect um, reality over on Shira. We're not shying away from issues. We like to embrace and celebrate them. And so I. I think uh, Bo having two dads was uh, was a cool step for us to take on the show. I don't know if it's ever really been done for children's animation, um, and I think it was really important for uh, our creator Noel to um, showcase that on a television show. Um, and yeah, we have a lot of fun with it, and we explore it more. I don't want to say too much, because of course it was a spoiler. Yeah. It was not supposed to be leaked. <laughs> um, DreamWorks, please don't fire me. But um, yeah, it's super. Uh, it's a super exciting moment and, uh, in television history that I cannot wait for our audience to see November. You know, November it's coming up. Yeah, it's coming it's up. Fun. Can't wait to tune into that. Yeah. And so we have seen you grow up on Blackish, and now Chira on The Princesses of Power. Mm. You are really, your career is taking off. Mm. Who would you like to work with in the industry uh, moving forward? Who would I like to work with? I want to work with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, okay? That'd be sick, you know? Black Panther 2? Black Panther 2. I can see I mean, it. You, I see it. Killmonger's homie. I love Listen. Michael B. Jordan. That'd be tight. What if you were his little brother who resurrects exactly. and comes back to life? I'm Kill here for it. Killmonger 2.0. Yes. Or we could have the Miles, Mor Miles Morales Spider-Man, you know? Oh, I see it. You know, Marcus, you see this it? is your role. This okay, is my, that's thank yours. You. That's what I I'm saying. I um, But yeah, I've always, I've loved superheroes, comic books, okay. things like that. So that is probably like my, dream production company to work with. Um, I love Donald Glover, Michael B. Jordan. Those are just some amazing cats and actors that um, I think are super talented and would love to work with one day. Wow, well, it's yours. I totally see it. Uh, Marcus, thank you so okay. much for stopping by today. Yes. Congratulations on the new season and on she and Princesses of Power. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, y'all. Blackish Season 5 premieres October 16th on ABC, and she and the Princesses of Power premieres on November 16th on Netflix. Stay tuned. Up next for AM to DM. Get in, loser. We're going tweeting. <laughs> it's fine. Let's take a selfie. Did you just get four, four for four? <laughs> what a bargain. All right, thanks, man. Are we there yet? Isaac, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Saeed, this is not driving this ferocity. AM to HOU, brought to you by Wendy's 4 for 4 meal. We're going to Houston. H-Town, darling. Okay, gang, we are almost into Houston, but I think we're gonna need some gas first. So here's a cool thing that I did not know. You can actually search online most affordable gas near me and you will actually be provided the per gallon price at each of those locations. So we just found a place, this place has 240 a gallon. So we're gonna save a little bit of cash and hit the road. 
it is time to make the most of Houston Tejas. We've only been here for like 10 minutes and something I've already noticed is I'm getting a sense of like a lot of cultures coming together. I know the food in Houston is like oh, this incredible true. culture mashup. I know there's a lot of Vietnamese meets Texas or definitely gonna eat some crawfish. Okay. It's a confession for me. I've never eaten crawfish. So could you tell me like how I should eat this? There is no particular way that we should do or should not do. Okay. But I just show you how I do it. Okay, so we ready? Now yeah. we twist the head. Okay. You see how oh, easy yeah. it's coming okay. out? Yeah. So you just buy it and suck it. Yeah. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> So while you already popped that one, we open that two little piece real fast. And then you just press a little tail right here. Press it in, they cut the whole piece out. I got it! Yep. A lot of people have been like, if you want to make the most of Houston, you've got to go to this place. Where do you see this kind of reflecting Houston back to itself? Immigrants come from a different part of the country, come to Houston. They have so large uh, population now. The food by itself, I want to keep it only by Vietnamese seasoning on the Cajun crawfish. That's why we are the pioneer of the Viet Cajun. We create that to be a modernized at the food level. I love so much about Houston because the people. We welcome everybody to Houston. We outgoing. We have a good heart. Chong Wen Wen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cute little cat. Oh, so you want you want <laughs> Nope, that cat wants none of my business. He could ride in the van with us? Be our little buddy? Little mascot? Ah, the good stuff. Oh, I am so full. You know I like to wear boots. I do know that about you. We put it out on Twitter. Where's the place in Houston to get cowboy boots? And everyone said Cavenders. I'm interested to see what this is like, because I do know they can be very fancy. Look at that. That's gator skin. This is stingray. What? That's so gorgeous. I love it. Boots are what bringing the drama. Big bass. This, this is, is a fish? Let me tell you something. They feel real smooth. They feel real slippery. These boots might be too fancy for me. The boots look like they know that. The boots are yeah, like, I don't know. It's no. like the sorting hat. <laughs> I like those. Those are my favorite so far. Yeah. Let's do these guys. Oh, these. Oh, oh wow. Play basketball on these, baby. If I could do them both, don't get me wrong, I would do them both. I think this is maybe the more me boot. Hat bar, let's go. Hat bar. I do get the, like like you said, I get the allure. You should get in here on this. I feel like you could at least try a hat on. Look at you, put it on at a, just a couple of black hats rolling into towns. Do some of this, huh? We're too into this. Going on the road, we've of course met people that we already know, but we've also met people that we only know through Twitter. And here in Houston, one of the people that I've been watching since day one is Kirsten Baptiste. You are special. Like to be flushed, <laughs> so we're gonna go and talk with Kirsten, catch up. It was funny because I was telling my boyfriend about coming to meet you guys. He was like, oh, I see those Twitter fingers really got active. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so scared. <laughs> 
found people being like, hey, we want to see you, and it's like, it's cool, uh -huh. like, love you. With you, we were like, yeah, we're making this happen. Yeah. Sorry, I hate you with my oh cowboy my hat. I'm so I got my new boots. I we, got my new hat. Yeah, I Texas ready. Look at this. Aw, oh, see, it benefits you That's too. Nice. Okay, all right, Tex. That was fun. It was really fun. And I think it was kind of embracing surprise. I experienced new things. I'd never eaten crawfish before. Turns out I love it. And then we got to meet Kirsten Baptiste. If you're gonna do a road trip, friends, you have to find time to catch your breath. You do look good in the hat though. Thanks, it is so man. funny how it looks like you've been wearing it forever. <laughs> it was my in. The stars at night are big and bright under the brim of Isaac's hat. <laughs> Taylor Runs tweeted, I wrote about all the many fucked up ways teens bully each other on Instagram. Ugh, and Taylor joins me now to talk about those many ways. Hey Taylor. Hi, thanks for having me. So why is Instagram the place where teens go to bully each other on social media now? Well, Instagram is sort of where um, teenagers, I mean, it's their primary sort of social network, almost like what Facebook probably was for you and I, mm -hmm. um, or the millennial generation. Um, but it's sort of the, the online manifestation of their social life. I mean, in a lot of ways, they have a lot of social connections too there that don't even you know, are, take place in the real world. Um, so kids spend an enormous amount of time on it. And obviously, anytime there's kids spending hours and hours a day somewhere, um, there's gonna be you know, bad behavior, bullying, especially when it comes to friendships. So, so what are we talking, talking about? <coughs> Messages, posts, how do they do this? Literally, they bully each other like using every single feature of the app. So first of all, bullying is not new. Kids are ruthless um, you know, throughout time. Kids have been awful to each other. Um, but they sort of like, because Instagram is this thing, especially like this platform of envy where you put your best self out and you're, you know, posting about you and your friends and your social network, um, it, like that can turn south really quickly. So kids, yeah, they DM, they tag each other in stories. They'll, um, you know, like for instance, um, it's subtle things like maybe they'll post a picture of you, like five people hanging out and they'll tag everyone but one person they don't like or, you know, things like that. But it's not, even anything Instagram could necessarily do to fix. It's just like, I mean, although they can do a lot to fix harassment on the platform, but, um, you know, some of these more subtle interactions, um, it, it's it's sort of like so personal. Yeah, I mean, how would Instagram know to flag that someone wasn't being attacked? Yeah. But like, I could totally see how that would be so hurtful. Yeah. You know, as a yeah. young teenager. So you tweeted something that I thought was really smart. You said that a lot of people are like, oh, well, if you're getting bullied on Instagram, why don't you just turn off Instagram? And it's like, no, you can't just turn off Instagram in the generation. I think we are very short-sighted in that sense. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I get this a lot too. I'm sure like you've experienced harassment online. People are like, just log off. Um, but that doesn't really fix the problem. Um, and especially with teenagers, like so much of, um, you know, their social network is manifested on Instagram, takes place on Instagram. That's also where they're getting support for the bullying. So it's, yeah. Yeah, they're being bullied by you know one or two people but that's also where they're going to you know catch up with their support network or you know get um, you know positive affirmations from people they know so it's not like it's you can just turn it off um, and when you do turn it off people are still talking badly about you on there like people are sort of running rampant and, and I think a lot of kids feel like well if I just ignore it then um, you know if I, if I do log off then it's making the bullies feel like they won and you know they're still on there talking shit so yeah, I mean, that's yeah. not good. I mean, I feel like I'd rather know what people are saying about me. I totally get that. I 
also would same. Yeah. It's a human. It's it's like who you know you you that's just human nature. Totally. So Instagram is actually they are trying to fix this. They and kind of. Uh, we'll give them we'll give them a little teeny teeny bit of credit. <laughs> they unveiled a new feature that's AI trying to detect bullying. Do you think this is going to work? Yeah. Very convenient timing for them to. Uh, release that news. Um, I No, I don't think it's, I mean, well, who knows? Who knows if it's going to work? I'm, I'm skeptical of a lot of their um, anti-bullying efforts um, because I, I don't necessarily know that a lot of people there um, seem to recognize the magnitude of harassment that happens on that platform. Um, and it's not just with kids bullying. And I, I mean, I, I think it's great that they're taking this step. I think it's great that they're, you know, developing these tools. I, I hope that they can, you know, going forward, even dedicate more you know, resources towards building that type of stuff. It's hard though, because all of these apps, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, any kind of social app is so driven by growth and it's so, you know, focused on growth. And it's really hard because some apps, especially, you know, like anti-bullying things like could potentially stunt growth. I can understand that tension, um, but I think they need to do a lot more. And, you know, they have a lot of these like PR campaigns, like kindness, um, everybody, you know, we have Maddie Ziegler doing a face filter and, uh, I'm skeptical as to whether that really makes any difference. It seems like a PR stunt to me, um, and I think probably to others. But um, but we'll see. I'm, I I do think that you know that's not to say there aren't people on Instagram that don't care deeply about this. I think it's just so hard. You yeah. Know? What is something that you think they could do? Um, well, I mean, I think implementing some of the uh, the increased sort of comment controls that Twitter's done, which Instagram has also done. Um, I think they need to go a little bit further. Um, you know, one one thing that is sort of a, a pro and con is that it's so easy to set up an anonymous account in minutes. Um, and, you know, if, you know, Instagram says, well, if you, um, you know, if your account is taken down for bullying, then you can't create a new account. But that's sort of been refuted by a lot of kids. Um, and I think they just need to really, um, you know, spend a lot more time thinking critically about, like, developing AI that can kind of suss out some of the stuff. It was really exciting to see what they were saying about, you know, using AI to detect bullying pictures. I just think so much of it's so nuanced. It's not like, you know, People yeah, using the, it's not like, like people are, I mean, kids are smarter. They're not just coming out and saying this stuff. They're doing it very subtly. So how can you really detect that besides so just try to be better people? I yeah, guess. and ultimately, I think, too, I mean, when it comes to children and not, you know, other types of harassment, I think, like, just parents have to talk to their kids and, um, you know, create an honest um, line of communication because that's the only way that it really stops. One girl was like, she hadn't talked to her parents in months, and she was so remiss to talk to them because she was like, "They're just gonna embarrass me. They're gonna go to this girl's mom." And finally, she did talk to the, she did talk to her mother. Her mother did go to the mom. She was totally mortified, um, but the bullying stopped. So, yeah, definitely talk to your kids, not just online. Well, thank you so much for joining Thanks us, Taylor. Up next, Hayes and I are reading your tweets. What's going on? I'll do the sprinkler. Uh, speaking of wedding moves. Speaking of my go-to wedding moves. That is, I don't know, I guess that is one of my signature moves. Well, we did ask you about funny wedding disasters. Alex London said, at the wedding reception, my sister's father-in-law sang Barry Manilow's Mandy to her, that's her name, making eye contact the whole time, I guess without realizing how suggestive the lyrics are. Oh, no. I mean, why would, as a father-in-law, do not say anything to your daughter-in-law. Pass. No matter if Hard it's like pass. wheels on the bus. Just don't <laughs> do it. Strong advice for everyone. Although I really wish I could watch that. I would, that sounds extremely enjoyable. The wheels on the bus. <laughs> eye contact, whole time. 
One of our producers, Rebecca Bisdale, said, all of the girls agreed to let one of the bridesmaids catch the bouquet, and at the last minute, another guest jumped in front and got it. The real disaster was that my reaction made their wedding album. It's the, her face, you can't really see it, but it looks so good. She is shocked. It's so air. funny. Like, oh my God. Actually, at my brother's wedding, my, bro mm -hmm. my two brothers, the mm -hmm. younger brother's now fiance, kind of like went in a little too much on the oh, bouquet. The, and they were like, the check, just yeah, pow. and there's this photo of them where they look like they're fighting over it, and it's really funny. I don't think that they actually like. I don't think she cared that much, but just the photos look very, very funny. Nice. Okay, one more. Meg said, my friend got married a few months ago and her new stepmother wore her own wedding dress as a guest to the wedding. It was obvious. It was white in case that wasn't obvious, clear. Wow, oh power move. Oh my God, that's a, I mean, that's not amazing. That's, I'm, oh, I don't, that's horrible. That's weird flex, but okay, as the kids say. <laughs> Actually, when I was planning my own wedding two years ago, I became extremely addicted to reading wedding horror story threads on yeah. Reddit. It's I'm like clearly. my crack, like I love it. Mm. And there's just so many good things, especially with like, you know, passive aggressive, like mothers, mothers-in-law, right. fathers-in-law. They do what they Could can read for the spotlight. Days. What? They do, bring it around, they do what they can for the spotlight. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so thank you to all of our guests, Tarini Party, Eugene Scott, Andrew Jans, Marcus Scribner, Chantel Rochelle, and Taylor Lawrence, and to Saeed and Isaac for hitting the road in Houston. Yeah, it looks so fun. Next week we have Mira Servino, John Batiste, Busy Phillips, and Alfonso Ribeiro. And I will be back co-hosting on Monday. I will miss you, Hayes. Hopefully we'll get to do too. this again soon. Yeah, soon. Have a good weekend, though, everyone out there on Twitter. Bye, Bye guys.